0: One of the most common concerns we hear from parents is that their kid isn't reading at grade level, isn't reading at all, or worse, hates reading. This breaks our hearts because we love stories and the value of reading is so obvious. We don't need to go into the reasons why reading is important. You get it. We tend to automatically do a deep dive with parents who are sharing this concern with us and strategize with them about what to do. In this episode, we share the advice, ideas, and feedback we think can help. Let's dig in.
1: You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Welcome, Smarties, to Episode 12 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. Be sure to go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com, to get the freebie associated with this episode called Stephanie's Reading Tricks. She's going to be giving a lot of tips and tricks in this episode, and we know that people listen to podcasts on the go, so we've created this handy freebie for you so that you can go back and refer to it when you need it. Today, we're going to talk about reading. Reading is a complicated process by which the reader takes in new ideas and new information from printed language. This is actually Steph's area of genius. She tends to work with more students on reading than I do, as my practice primarily skews towards students with ADHD, executive functioning issues, and math related issues. I do have an amazing reading specialist in the practice, so we are able to accommodate this request. I'm becoming a part of you, our audience today, as we all learn from Steph together. Before we do that, Steph and I want to give you a little behind-the-scenes glimpse into kind of where we are currently. So while this episode is actually coming out in July, we are recording it in May. And this is actually the first time that Steph and I have sat down and recorded an episode since our podcast launch last week. Woohoo. So we wanted to just thank you for being a listener. We wanted to thank those of you who have reached out to us, yes, over email or DM on Instagram or through our website. We're really, really grateful for the feedback. It's been really exciting and it may seem out of place because you might have been a listener since we launched, but we just wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you and please connect with us. We love hearing from you. We love hearing about what you want us to talk about and
0: we're just grateful. Yeah. And if there's anything that resonated with you, let us know because that might be something that maybe we can do a deeper dive into. And other people, if you're somebody who it helped, it probably helped other people. So we really appreciate knowing about that.
1: We have so many ideas about episodes that we want to talk about. As we record episodes, we're writing ideas down for further episodes that we can go <laughs> deeper into these ideas on. Yeah. But we want to make sure the content that we're delivering is meaningful. We feel like we want to serve our audience and the mission of this podcast is is to create broader awareness about educational therapy, of course, but also to serve the needs of a community that may not know where to go for ideas and strategies. So please let us know what you want to hear. We will write an episode about it. We've already done that. (laughs) So Steph, I'm ready to learn about reading. You and I have done a reading program workshop together. Yeah. I don't love remediating reading, which is totally fine because there are so many wonderful people who love teaching reading. So while some of this information is just good for me to hear a second time, I feel like I'm going to learn in this episode from you.
0: Well, I hope so. Yeah. Going back, I never ever thought I would ever, ever teach kids how to read Mm -hmm. because of my background and how As a kid, I forgot how to read and I had a difficult time trying to keep back up with everybody. And I had someone working with me to remediate it. So when I was in the summer between first and second grade, I don't really remember how I was as a reader in first grade. All I really remember is starting second grade Mm -hmm. and I couldn't read. I didn't Mm -hmm. remember. And it didn't seem like my parents talking to them now, it didn't seem like it was much of a red flag at the end of first grade. So maybe I was just one of those kids that was tricking my teachers. Mm-hmm. And maybe I never really grasped it and I was just able to keep up enough. Mm-hmm. But I got into second grade and I couldn't read. I forgot. I just, it was horrible. So somebody came in and I sat in the back of the classroom. Wow. For the first part of the year working on, you know, reading the, you know, when you're in second grade, the little kid books, you know, probably kindergarten level. And I caught up and I ended up by the end of the year, I was in the top reading group. So I caught on, but it was definitely an experience looking back that was a little traumatic for me, actually. So this is why telling you this story is such an interesting way that life works, that now I'm teaching reading. (laughs) We haven't
1: recorded episode 11. We're going a little bit out of order. But in episode 11, we're going to talk about math. And I will be sharing a similar story of how math was not something that came naturally or easy for me. And yet, look at what's happened. And I spend a lot of my day remediating math and making math more accessible to more students.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, Steph,
1: when a parent is calling you about their child who's having some reading delays or reading issues. What is that first call typically like?
0: I often get calls from parents who are feeling really anxious because their child is behind their peers or not at grade level in reading. And going back to something that you and I keep saying, remember, it's your child's own race. So the first thing I really try to do is... Help calm them down, help them understand that I know it's an anxious feeling, but there's ways and we will get them there. I think it's
1: comforting for parents when they call. And I try not to act like I've heard it all before, but at the same time, we absolutely have heard it before. And so when we mirror what they're saying or take ideas out of their brains and say, you must be feeling like this, or communicate to them that we understand, I do think it alleviates some of that initial anxiety that we've heard it before. Their kid may be unique amongst their peers, but they're certainly not unique amongst the students and clients that we're working with.
0: And I know that there's a lot of comparison that's happening and parents are talking to their friends and saying, oh, well, my child is reading at a fifth grade level and we're in third grade. That is not the norm
1: you guys didn't see it. Steph and I can see each other while we're recording. We actually record in two separate locations. I'm currently in my bed, but (laughs) what Steph just did when she talked about that third grade parent who's bragging about their fifth grade reading level child, she rolled her eyes (laughs) because eventually they'll all be high school and college graduates. It doesn't matter.
0: Right. It doesn't matter. We want you to know that it's okay and your child will get there. They will get there. Absolutely. So (laughs) the other call that I get is from parents who are trying to get their child to read every night and it's absolute torture for them. Mm -hmm. But I want to remind you guys, it's also torture for your child. So it's not a fun experience for everyone and I get it. I get it. And that's one of the things that we really try to do with educational therapy is to foster a love of stories and a love of right. learning and reading or listening in some cases, if that's where you need to start. Yep. But I'll get into that more. The other thing that comes up when a parent calls about reading specifically is that I tell parents when they're calling about reading that most of the time, there is something else going on besides just the reading. And that's important. It's really important because it just hasn't shown up yet. I don't know about you, Rach, but most of the parents that call when the kids are older and I ask them about what was going on when they were in elementary school, I'll have 10th grade parents that call and say, oh, yeah, back in first grade. Yes. Yes blank. Always. Right? So it just, if you're the parent of a younger student, it's not usually just about reading.
1: We don't say this to freak parents out or to make you worried about what's coming next. Maybe something won't happen next for your child once they've mastered reading. We just say this to make you aware and a little... I don't know if vigilant is the right word, but to keep you aware that once there's a reading-related issue, something else might pop up.
0: And I think I really tell parents this also because I'm really big about working with the whole child. Absolutely. And if I'm remediating reading, I'm not just remediating reading. Absolutely. I'm looking for where there's holes. It might be in memory, It might be in things that are visual spatial, which is where things are. Like if you're going in a grocery store and looking for where the item you want to find is. Are you saying, are you giving that example of
1: visual spatial specifically because this is something I complain about for myself? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I really struggle in a grocery store. If I go to a grocery store that I'm unfamiliar with. I can't find anything that I'm looking for. I'm notorious for calling friends to say, what aisle is this in? And then I'll say, I'm standing in the aisle. I I don't see it. I don't see it. And they're like, why are you calling me?
0: Ask somebody at the store. Visual (laughs) discrimination is what it's called. Yeah, I struggle in that area. But the good news is, you know that. Yeah, it doesn't
1: impact my life so much. It's just (laughs) a funny quirk about me.
0: So sometimes when I go to the grocery store with Rachel, she tells me what it is, and I find it. Absolutely.
1: I love when someone else is there with me. I love when someone else does it, but I love when someone else is there with me.
0: <laughs> so anyway, I go back to saying that usually there's something else, and it doesn't mean that it's something huge. But if we can remediate it now, there's less of a chance of it showing up later. For sure. Reading involves a lot of different components simultaneously if you think about it, you're sounding out the word. There's also sight words, and those words don't follow the normal rules. There's tone, which is knowing how to change your voice and pause for punctuation. And meaning, understanding what is being said as a whole. And as Rachel always says, and I say this too now, English doesn't play fair at all. And so that's words that are sight words, and you can find sight words listed, and I work with kids a lot on sight words.
1: And I'll just add to that, what I mean by English doesn't play fair is that you can teach a rule, a rule of reading, and then you have to follow up with the 25 words that don't abide by this rule, right? Yeah. So it's frustrating for students, it's frustrating for us, it's why often Kids make spelling errors, which we haven't gotten into it and probably won't get so much into spelling on this episode, but just throwing it out there that Steph and I tend to not care so much about spelling on the whole because really starting in middle school, they'll be writing on a computer and they will have a backup in that the computer will correct them. But English doesn't play fair and it's, it makes it frustrating.
0: While the kids are reading, it can cause a lot of anxiety. And I remember this as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys remember, if your teachers did this, or you've heard your child complain about this, but there's something called oral popcorn reading that a lot of teachers do. And it's basically when you're supposed to either jump in and read a paragraph or a sentence Or the teacher picks you and it's your turn to read. And this is very anxiety producing. So. And it's reading out loud in
1: the classroom with peers watching words that you've never read in that particular
0: order. And then a lot of times for the kids that are struggling with reading, what a lot of kids do is they'll count forward to what sentence they are supposed to be reading and they're practicing it in their heads and not listening to anything else. So then if a teacher gives a quiz or a test or asks a question, there's no comprehension because the child was solely focused on what they were supposed to read. And I don't blame them, right? It's kind of embarrassing when you're a little kid and if your friends are going to make fun of you because that reading was really hard.
1: This is a good moment to explained that reading is primarily made up of two main areas, which is decoding, which is sounding out a word, and the second area is comprehension. And both areas have to work together seamlessly in order for somebody to be a fluent
0: reader. And this gets even more complicated if your child speaks more than one language. And we can say a lot more, but we don't want to dig in too deep to this. This is more of an episode about just giving you a little bit more of an overview. The next biggest thing is fluency versus comprehension. And fluency is basically what Rachel was saying, which is decoding. So fluency when reading is the ability to read the words flawlessly, basically. And comprehension is understanding what you read. Both are equally important, and I've had kids who are able to trick their teachers because they are able to read the words perfectly, and then when it comes to comprehension, they aren't able to tell you what they've just read. Sometimes I have kids come to me that are a little older that are have fluency down, and the comprehension has just never been something that they're able to do. And so sometimes within reading, we're just working on comprehension. And I think that's important to note because it's not just about reading the actual word. Mm -hmm.
1: Because I work with students who tend to be third grade and older, I also work on comprehension with
0: students. So to give you some strategies to help support reading, this is for younger students. There's things called reading strips. You can make it yourself. You can take a piece of paper or something, a post-it note even I I do, and you cut out the middle so that the kid can see either a sentence or a word at a time. So there's like a little window.
1: If you're like me and you don't want to do the arts and crafts of this, you can do a quick Amazon search. They're $8.99 and they're different colors that highlight the particular sentence that each student is reading. They serve as a great bookmark
0: too. And sometimes I do just a word at a time for kids that rush. Another thing to do is have your student follow along with their finger. And this helps keep their place because a lot of them struggle with with that also. And so that they can focus on one word at a time. You can also take turns reading with your child. I sometimes get parents who are saying, oh, it's so torture to read for 20 minutes And the thing is, Rachel and I both really agree with this. It's just exposure to stories and words for 20 minutes. If you have a kid that is not ready to read a lot independently. So take turns. Sometimes I read a page, they could read a paragraph or something like that. It's really important to practice sight words. Those are the ones that don't follow the rules. And there's a lot of books and workbooks out there that work on specifically that. And you can see by grade level or age what sight words are appropriate. I have some games that do this. There's a lot of resources out there for sight words. It's also important to choose a book that's at their reading level and not their grade level. And this is where it comes in with, oh, my child is reading Harry Potter in fourth grade. Well, Harry Potter in fourth grade is probably not the majority of kids.
1: Those books are scary. So when I hear parents saying that, are they ready for Harry Potter? The, at the core of those books, it's a theme of life and death. And that seems like a kind of mature book for a fourth grader.
0: Yeah. But some of them read it.
1: Well, particularly the later books. The first yeah. couple, I think,
0: are fine. So pick a book. That is at their reading level and a really good way to find it is there's an app called Book Fairs by Scholastic and you can download it on your phone or on your iPad or whatever it is. And it will tell you the level of a book. You can scan it and it will tell you other books that are at the same level and might be similar stories if your child is really into one particular type or genre of books books.
1: That's a great app for parents who struggle to find books that their kids like to read. So if you know that your child likes, for example, Harry Potter, you can go in and scan Harry Potter and search for it. And other books with similar themes, reading level, language will pop up and
0: generate for you. I love that app. On the other hand, when you're reading to your child, pick an age-appropriate book. So remember, your child isn't reading this book. This is the book that you're reading to your child. And it's important to do an age-appropriate book because it helps them with so many other things, and I'll get into that a little bit later.
1: If you want to increase fluency, which is your child isn't having a difficult time understanding what they've read, their comprehension is fine, but they may struggle with decoding or breaking down the words. A strategy that I love, and I will admit it's torturous for parents, is to read simultaneously with your child. So what that means is you, as the adult who's a seamless reader, you slow down Everything you say, it feels like torture to you because it's so slow. I guarantee you, it's still faster than how your student is reading. So you slow down and they speed up to match you. It's also a really good way to teach expression in reading and pausing for punctuation
0: and story. You can also do that. I've done this with kids where I would read a paragraph or a sentence and then have the kid copy. And they're copying for sounds. They're copying. They're looking at the words. And so we might do it in a voice of being happy mm-hmm. or a voice being silly or things like that. And when they're feeling a little less anxious about actually getting the words right and trying to do something fun, it tends to make it a little bit easier. Yep. You can also practice sounds. So vowel sounds and things that are blends, like a th, for instance. You don't say t huh, it's th. th-, th- <laughs> so that's the other thing. The last thing that comes up a lot in my practice is about eyesight. And I want to do an, a later episode about this and do a deep dive. Adding it to our list right now. <laughs> but vision therapy. So in a nutshell, I don't know if you've ever heard of vision therapy. Most people haven't. But there's two different types of things going on with your eyes. There's actual eyesight, which is, you know, 20-20 vision. There's the muscles of your eyes. So the muscles of your eyes have to do a bunch of different things. They have to work together to track on a page. And you have to be able to move your eyes and focus. And that's all your muscles. So I have a lot of kids that come in and their vision might be 20-20 or really good. They don't need any glasses or anything for their vision. But the muscles of their eyes are really weak. And vision therapy is something like physical therapy for your eyes. You strengthen the muscle. Steph,
1: can you just quickly talk about what you look for? Because you're good at identifying this in students and you've really taught me. So what can parents look for?
0: And then who do they go to for this? Because it's not a regular optometrist, right? Right. It's a developmental optometrist that usually does vision therapy. Some optometrists do. But if you look for a developmental optometrist, they definitely do. The signs that show up are your child rubbing their eyes, your child all of a sudden reading and then stopping and taking a second and then reading some more. Also, something that might come up is if your child tends to want to look at the TV really closely or they're picking books that are a bigger font because it's easier to see, or they're reading a sentence and they're exhausted after, or all of a sudden after a lengthy paragraph, words that they can say very easily, like if they've mastered them or therefore, all of a sudden words that they can normally say becomes a struggle. Hmm. So the difference between off and of. I had a student who all of a sudden, after reading a lengthy paragraph, was confusing off and of, and he knows the difference. So this was a sign to me that something was going on. Here are some tips for supporting older students with reading. There's audiobooks where we like to have them follow along with a physical book so they're hearing it and seeing it at the same time. And this is really good because the information is going in two ways. So this is going to help with comprehension and recall. Read together as a family and have family discussions about what's happening in the book. Listening comprehension. So you can do this with TV shows, movies, podcasts, audiobooks, etc. So if you're just in the car and listening to a podcast, for instance, you can talk about things that went on in the podcast with your child, ask questions, ask the W questions who, what, where, when, why, and sometimes how. And those kinds of things will help with comprehension.
1: I would add it not only helps with comprehension, but it helps with critical thinking and a deeper analysis when you're discussing TV shows, movies, any kind of content that you're absorbing as a family. Have the conversation afterwards about it.
0: Additionally, this will end up helping your child with writing. I couldn't agree more. When you're reading together, stop at the end of each page or paragraph and discuss. And remember, you can still alternate even if your child is older. They'll probably really like it. They'll probably feel like when they were a little kid and mom or dad read to them. That's fun. Mm -hmm. You can preview a story and... We really believe in knowing what's next. There's no need to be surprised. And this really also works on inferencing. Inferencing is making a guess, basically, about what's going on without having all of the information. You're using the information you already know and then making an educated guess, basically. So, an example of inferencing is I am going
1: to wear flip flops, I'm going to bring a bag with sunscreen, a water bottle, a sandwich, a blanket, and a low sitting chair. And of course, my sunglasses. Steph, where <laughs> am I going? You're going to the beach. And Steph just inferred that without me ever explicitly saying, but I gave her a ton of clues. And that's usually what
0: happens in stories. So, to give you an example, yesterday I, I worked with a student. We were looking at a book that was his age level. And it was a book called Lawn Boy. And on the book, it was just green. It said lawn boy on it. And there was a picture of a boy, but you couldn't really see exactly what he was doing or what he was sitting on. So I asked my third grader, what do you think this book is about? And so we talked that it was about probably a boy that mows lawns. And then we talked about the cover because it, most of the cover was in green. And so that's another clue. If you didn't know what a lawn was, let's say, it looks like grass. So this was one way we did it. The other thing that we did was we worked on movie posters. So Mm -hmm. I pulled up Home Alone. I love that. I've never heard you talk about this. I pulled up the movie Home Alone, and on the front, which is, you know, one of my favorite movies. So from being a child, on the front, you have Kevin. Right, and he's got the his hands on either side, and he's making a face right, and so we talked about what kind of face it was. It was a little bit worried, nervous, sort of scared ah type look, and in the back, you have pictures of the actors that play the robbers, so to speak, right, and they're sort of in the back. you can see that they're behind the window a little bit, so you're so they're sort of like looking in, so we were talking about the clues from there. Also, at the top where it says home alone, in between home and alone, just to give you a visual, there's actually an icon of a house. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about all the different clues that were in the poster that would help us know what it would be about. So you can do this with lots of things, just throwing it out there. Mm. Another thing that you can do is use Post-its. We both love Post-its. Yep. I have lots of colors of Post-its.
1: I just went to to Staples and I thought I was running out of Post-its in the office. I have like four unopened packages of Post-its right now. (laughs)
0: That's great. I love the colors and the different sizes. All the different colors with the lines. With the lines, without the lines. Different sizes. Big fan. The graph paper ones, all great. So this is really good for a kid if you're going to a school where you don't own the book, which happens a lot in my practice because I have a lot of public school students. So you can use a Post-it to put on the actual page and you're going to have your child write the main idea or literary devices that the teacher made looking for. It's basically annotating but on a Post-it and the child actually – I have a lot of kids who, when you say annotate, they 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 go, "Oh, I don't want to annotate." But somehow, if you do it on a Post-it, it becomes a little bit more tolerable. Can I explain this a little more in depth? Because yes. I love
1: this. Okay, so what you do is at the end of either every it depends on how long the chapters are and how long, what amount the student can read and still attend to the information. Meaning, they can read three or four pages in a and understand everything. And what you do is you kind of prep the book with these post-its where you write down very specific ideas that the student needs to look for. So, for example, with a younger student, you want them looking for the W's, the who, the what, the when, and the where, and they quickly fill it out. This is in lieu of annotating while you're reading because that can be really, really tricky for students With ADHD in particular, they hate it because they have to stop and start. So, what you say is don't stop and start at all. Just fill out these post its that are strategically placed throughout. And then, if you have an older student who the teacher is expecting them to annotate and they're supposed to be looking for literary devices, instead of having the W's, you just have them look for alliteration, imagery. Character development, whatever those elements that you know the teacher wants them to look for or has taught them to annotate in the book, you just do it on these post-its in four or five-page increments or at the end of the chapter, depending. These post-its are great and become really, really meaningful if a student has to write an essay or a book report on the book after the fact. They've already taken all their notes as they're reading.
0: And another thing to add, I have some kids that just even writing something is such torture, they won't do any sort of writing or annotating. So I have those kids make a key with different little drawings. Symbols. Yeah, symbols that represent different things. And they're much more willing to draw the symbol in and put it there. You could use... Instead of using a big post-it at the end, you could use one of those little page post-its where it's, you know, the ones that say sign here, the little flag ones, and you can have them put it there and put the little symbol in for what it is. But Or you can even color code it so you don't even have to draw. Yeah. Make sure there's a key because you don't want them to forget. So smart. And I also want to just touch on reading programs because I know I get a lot of questions about this and I think... It's out there, and some of you might want to check out reading programs for your child, especially if you're not in an area with an educational therapist. When you're looking for a reading program, you want to look for a structured literacy program, which is what it's technically called. Some of them are not structured. Let me give you a little bit of a background understanding. A reading program is a set of rules that a certain program might have. And a reading program is meant to go through these different steps to teach your children or to teach your reader how to do all of these things. So, for instance, there's a bunch of different reading programs out there, and you may have heard of some of them or not. There's Orton Gillingham, there's Wilson, there's Linda Mood-Bell, and there's Barton. and I want to make sure that you guys know that structured literacy programs work really well for a lot of students. And each one is different and has their own unique way of doing things, but there's no one-size-fits-all program. So sometimes I have parents come to me and say, oh, I want to do a reading program. Should I do this one or that one? I can't give you an answer to that because it also depends on your child, so in our practices, we like to use a little bit of each one to sort of make our own. So I wanted to give you a couple of reading resources if you're looking for that, especially if it's it's still summertime and you have a little bit of time before the school year starts. Online, you can find a program called Raz Kids, and that's for younger kids, and you can find lots of reading on there. There's also a program called EPIC. And that program has a bunch of books also, and some of them are audiobooks. You can also go to the library and check out books. Make that a day activity. And if you listen to episode nine, you can make this a day activity where you're doing things and making a trip to the library and working on executive function with your student.
1: Episode nine is what to do with your child over the summer.
0: There's also audiobooks that you can check out, but there's also Audible. That you can get a bunch of books, either on a Kindle, on your phone, online, et cetera.
1: I think overall, the most important thing you can do is spend time reading, but really spend time with words with your children. It can be in it can be in audio format. I'm a big fan of audiobooks myself. I'm a big fan, and I advocate for this for my students who struggle with reading at the middle school and high school level. But if your children can't read on their own, read with them. Create a structured time in your home, if it's possible, to engage with words and cultivate a love of stories. We want to foster a love of reading, a love of stories, an understanding of sentence structure, We want to build vocabulary, which happens even when students are exposed to books above their reading level. And most of all, we want to cultivate a deep understanding of what we're reading and reading comprehension with our children. If you have any questions about this episode or questions for Steph or I, don't hesitate to reach out. You can connect with us on Instagram at LearnSmarterPodcast or email us LearnSmarterPodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And if you're interested in working one on two or two-on-two with Steph and I, feel free to go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com and book a strategy session with us. We would be over the moon and so honored that you would want to strategize with us about your learner. Like we said at the beginning of the episode, we've created a freebie for you associated with all these wonderful tips and tricks that Steph gave us in this episode. So be sure to go to www.learnsmarterpodcast.com to get your free copy. Steph, thanks for this great episode. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about things that I didn't know you were doing, (laughs) which was fun. I'm glad. And have a great day. Bye, guys.